You're listening to the Covenant original series, The God of Good. Can we choose to be good? For that matter, can we ultimately choose God? Or does God choose the good in our lives and ultimately the fate of our existence? Here is part four, choosing good of The God of Good. Did God choose me for salvation or did I choose God for salvation? If God chose me, right, does that mean that I don't have any free will? Is that what that means? Does that mean that I'm nothing more than just a, a puppet on some divine string, some type of robot who really isn't in charge, even though I might have the illusion of free will? Does that mean that I actually have any real choice in making a choice at all? This is a sticky question, to be sure. In fact, this is a divisive Question. It has divided churches, it has d- divided denominations, it has divided people for, for centuries. Because on the other hand, if, if God did choose, or rather if I did choose God, um, does that mean that God isn't sovereign? Does that limit his supremeness? Does that mean that salvation is, is the one area that's outside of his supremacy and his, his sovereignness? Is that even a thing that can happen? I mean, I think that we would all agree that God is sovereign, right? To make that claim is, is a really big deal. To claim that God is sovereign is, is a big thing. To, to claim that God is sovereign means that he knows all things, which means he would know who would be in, in heaven. He would know who wouldn't be in heaven as well. If God is sovereign, then he's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. If God is sovereign, then He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. If God is sovereign, that, that, that means that he's omniscient, which means he, he knows everything. And if God is all these things, if, if God truly is sovereign, right? If he is this big, supreme, majestic, sovereign God, then he would have knowledge of who would be in heaven and who wouldn't be. But this comes with an undeniable question. It's not if God knows who will be in heaven and who will be in hell, but did he choose who will be in heaven and who will be in hell? This is maybe more the question that we should ask. Maybe, maybe this is the question. Does God choose who is saved and who isn't? Now, we've been walking through the book of Romans, and Romans chapter 9 is where we are this month. And it's not like Paul, the author of Romans, really does much in the way of helping us out with this topic, to be honest with you. In fact, he stirs the proverbial theological uh, uh, pot here, if you will, talking about the really this sovereignty of God and and free will. Look at this starting in verse 21. He says this in chapter 9. Has the potter no right over the clay? Who's the potter here? Say God. Who is the clay? Us. So you've got God, you've got us. And he says, does God have no right over his people to make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for his glory. Even us, 
whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. In other words, Paul is saying, does God have a right to choose who he saves and who he doesn't? From what he says here, it seems pretty cut and dry, doesn't it? It seems pretty black and white. And then you run across a passage like Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says this, God chose us in him before the very foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Would you say the word chose for a minute? So scripture here says that God chose us. He chose you. He chose me. He chose people to know him before the very foundations of the earth were laid. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but that's like a long time ago. That's before the world was created. That's before Adam and Eve. That's before you were born. So before you were even born, before the earth was even created, before the very foundations were laid, Scripture says that God chose us, that he predestined us. Seems black and white, doesn't it? God chose us for salvation. Before your parents, before your parents' parents, before Adam and Eve, Scripture seems to indicate that God knew you, called you, and chose you. So, God chooses us, no doubt about it. Now, before you lose your mind, okay, before we lose our minds on this, right, before you start rioting, let's just, I think it's fair to take a moment to understand who we are before we come to Jesus. We just watched an amazing, like, montage of life change. And I think it's amazing to see people raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Now, we know that baptism doesn't save a person, but it is a representation of what is occurring in their life. When you meet Jesus Christ, so this symbolism of being baptized, being taken underwater and brought to new life is just that. Just as Christ was buried and raised to new life, right? We are buried once we were dead, and now we were raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to see this, this amazing type of life change, but you have to understand that there is a time before we meet Jesus, and scripture has some very poignant things to say, some very specific phrases and names and, and, um, and construction that it, that it puts around people that don't know Jesus, pre-Christ. In fact, here are a few of them. People who have not been raised to new life in Christ, Matthew chapter 13 says that their eyes are blind to the gospel. Romans 8 says that their minds are dark and hostile, violent to the things of God. Matthew chapter 13 says that their ears are deaf to the call of God. Jeremiah 17 and Romans 1, it says that their hearts are deceitful and dark. John chapter 8, Romans 6, before Christ, it says that we're enslaved to sin, that we are in bondage to sin, that we are slaves. Romans chapter 1 and Titus 3 says that we are fools. In John chapter 3, it says that those who are out, not in Christ, they hate God, they literally hate God, and then Maybe the most powerful one, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and echoed in Colossians 2, it says that we are dead. So listen to me. Let me just ask you for a moment. I want you to think about how the Bible describes those who are not in Christ, people who don't know the Lord. 
And then you have to ask yourself this question. How does a person who is all of these things, dead, dark, filled with hate towards God, foolish, enslaved to sin, how does somebody who is these things, who is full of these things, how does that person choose the goodness of God? How do, how do blind eyes see? How do deaf ears hear the gospel? And maybe part of the problem that we have with this question is, is when I ask this question, it's for you a question of freedom. Well, Travis, am I not free to do what I want? Before Christ, was I not free to choose? Am I not free to choose Jesus? And in one sense, I would say, well, yeah, of course, you are free to choose. The problem is, in that freedom to choose, because of the darkness in your heart, you will only choose darkness. So yes, you have a freedom to choose, but because you have been in darkness so much, because you have loved the darkness, you will hate and fear the light. In other words, Jesus could stand in front of you and say, here I am, believe in me, trust in me, come to me, receive me. Yet the natural response of the human is open refusal. Our blind eyes cannot see. Our deaf ears cannot cannot hear our own minds deceive us with his words our hearts are predisposed to love to hate him we love to hate god all we have known is darkness and so we fear the light in other words the chains of our choosing keep us from coming to jesus can i just say that again the chains of our own choosing keep us from coming to jesus and yet, for some of us, we remember the day that we asked Jesus to come and be the king of our life. Right? Like, I don't know if you're like me. I remember the day that I felt convicted of my sin and chose to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Do you, do you have a day like that? The question is, was that day real? Did that happen? Well, yeah, it happened. Did I choose? I mean, I feel like in that moment I chose to follow Jesus. I feel like in that moment I chose to leave a life, right, that I had and to follow after the things of Christ. What was that about? Did I not actually make that decision, <laughs> right? Did I not have any actual real free will or was that just the illusion of free will? No, 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 no. Of course you chose to follow Jesus. Of course you did. In, in John chapter 1, verse 12, we have a perfect example. It says this, but to all who did receive him, say receive, receive. who believed in his name. Come on, church, say believed. believed. Now, just pause. Believing is an action. W would you agree with that? And an action requires a choice to take that action. So scripture is very clear. It says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. You have to make a choice to believe. If, if I want to believe in this, I have to choose to believe or choose not to believe. Are you, are, you, are you with me? Does this make sense to you today? Yeah. It says, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who received the right to become children of God? The people who believed in Jesus. Those who made the real choice to put real faith in the real Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't a trick verse, and I'm not trying to trick you. Those 
who believed in Jesus, who made the choice, they made a real choice and really put their faith. So we can say, we choose God, no doubt about it. <laughs> so let me just to reiterate, God chooses us, no doubt about it. And just to back that up, let me say this. We choose God, no doubt about it. Now you might say, fantastic, this is why I don't come to church, right? <laughs> let me explain. Because there's something else going on in this verse that is imperative for us to understand. Look, it says that those who believed in Jesus were born again. But, but, but how are they born again? And this is important. It says that they're not, not born again, not of blood, meaning there's not any sort of like natural birth. They also weren't born again by the will of the flesh or the will of man, which means it's not anything you did. This is very important. Scripture talks about the fact in Ephesians, it says that we don't come to Christ by any works. Works don't earn us salvation. We, we aren't the ones who can grab onto that salvation. Salvation comes only from God. Being born again is something that only God can do, only something that, that only God does for us. See, I think this is part of the problem. I think maybe we're asking the wrong question. And if you ask the wrong question but get the right answer, it's still going to be a little difficult. Is that fair? So really, maybe it's really important for us to begin asking better questions if we want better answers. So maybe the question isn't, did I choose God or did God choose me? I think the real question is this. How did I choose to respond to God's choosing of me? Let this sink in for a minute. How did I choose to respond to God's choosing of me? In the book of Acts, chapter 14, 16 rather, we read about a woman named Lydia. Paul is off on his church planting adventures, and he's planting churches here and there. He's a missionary. He's on fire for the Lord. And he runs ac across this entrepreneurial woman named Lydia. Lydia is somebody who does not know Jesus. She's far from Christ. And Paul strikes up a conversation and begins to share the gospel with her. And we pick up on this story in chapter 16, verse 14, where scripture says this. It says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart, notice now, listen, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. In other, in other words, God made her spiritually dead heart come alive. So that she could hear and choose to follow after Jesus. In that moment, God allowed her to be made alive, to hear, even for a brief moment. Allowed her deaf ears to hear. Allowed her blind eyes to see. Allowed her dead heart to be awoken long enough to understand the gospel for the purpose of choosing to follow after Christ. Matthew, I'm sorry, John chapter six says this, Jesus's words. He says that no one can come after me unless it is granted him by the Father. God wakes up our dead hearts. Come on. God wakes up our dead hearts and he speaks life into us and he woos us with this incredible love story and he convicts us and his good, with his goodness. Because he says 
That he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to full repentance through Jesus Christ. So we have these brief moments where our dead hearts are made, aw- are made awake. We enter into a, an atmosphere like this and we agreed to come because our parents made us or we agreed to come so we get our friend off of our back and, and we hear and maybe we've heard the same thing over and over but all of a sudden now it makes sense and what I'm telling you is it's God waking up your heart, massaging your heart to bring it to life for the purpose of you hearing the gospel. So do we choose God? Absolutely, we choose God. We make a real choice to repent of our sins and to choose to follow God. But scripture is also very clear that God chooses us before we choose him. And listen, the Bible doesn't try to reconcile these two truths. It's not like they're at odds. We try to put them at odds because we have limited thinking. But God's God. And he has no problem placing supremacy and free will side by side and presenting them equally in Scripture. And you say, well, that doesn't really make sense. Well, God is the only one who can, who can truly do that. Free will and sovereignty, both important. I wish this was the end, but it's not. There is a bitter edge to this. And if you haven't heard anything that I've said today, I really want you to listen now. I really want you to listen. I want you to tune into this. Don't cut out because you're a PK. Don't cut out because you've been to church your whole life. This is especially for you. Listen, Scripture has something very important to say. Hebrews chapter 6, I want to read this to you. It might be a little confusing, so we're going to explain it. It says this, for it is, pos- it is impossible, say impossible, that means there's no chance, right? For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, We're going to go on in a second here. But here's what I want you to know. This can be a very confusing passage. And this has been a passage that has created division amongst Christians and entire denominations. Because this has been a passage where people have pointed and said, see, you can lose your salvation. People falling away. People falling away. But what I want you to understand is that when you... When you get the fact that sovereignty and free will go hand in hand, when you understand that God first chooses you by awakening your heart and then you can choose him, then this verse immediately makes sense. Listen, it says this. They are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it. And produces a crop useful to those for those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears, but it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. 
In other words, you have to understand this. There will be those of us who hear the gospel message. There will be those of us who God has awakened your heart. And for those brief glimpses of time, he's, he's made your blind eyes to see and your deaf ears to hear, yet you will choose to walk away. What Hebrews is saying here is that even though you've tasted of God, even though you've tasted of the Holy Spirit, and you've seen he is good, you've chosen your own life instead of following after him. And for you, your heart has become hardened. It compares you to a plant that has grown thorns and thistles. He said it is worthless. You are near to being cursed. He goes on with strong language and he says your end is to be burned. So today, whether this is your first time in church or first time in a long time, maybe you've been raised in church, maybe you've been on the mission field with your parents, maybe you grew up like me, your dad is a pastor, I urge you to look at your walk. I urge you to look at your heart. Scripture tells us that we're to work out our own salvation with much fear and trembling. We don't like to think about that verse, but it's important that we do. And I want to urge you today to surrender your life to Jesus because he first surrendered his life to you. I want to urge you today to give your life to Jesus because he first gave his life for you. Thanks for listening to this message from our series, The God of Good. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.